I say he is risen. You say he is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. Can you imagine being the devil? Don't try too hard. Can you imagine being the devil on Easter Sunday morning, waking up with the worst hangover of what was I thinking? You know, just when the devil feels like he's got you beaten down and you're out. Just, just at that moment. It's when the resurrection life of Jesus Christ comes in, hits you and changes you. This hour, I believe, is going to be a life changer and a game changer for your entire life. This hour is going to shift everything for you. Mary Magdalene spent an hour at the tomb of the garden, and we're going to be talking about her this morning. And that hour shifted and changed everything for her. Yeah, turn those lights the other way, I think. Because I'm losing my catwalk here, and I miss my roaming space. Man, I love uh, Venue Church. Thank you so much for putting Easter on for the city. We love you. Thank you for all the services that you do, that we get to. We don't say we have to. We don't have to do anything around here. We get to. Hey, first Wednesday is coming up, 7 o'clock. You want to come and get your life and your month set on fire. you know, Or you can spend the rest of the month struggling if that's what you enjoy doing. But we just come to first Wednesday. God sorts it all out for us, and it's incredible. This sermon series that I'm starting today is called Graves into Gardens. And there's not a, a grave in your life. There's not a death in your life. There's not, nothing in your life that God cannot resurrect because that's who he is. He just can't help himself. You know, the devil can't help himself because he probably gave you a nasty week coming up to Easter. Just trying to keep you away from coming here. But you're here and there's nothing he can do now. Anybody have an unpleasant surprise this week? I love people sometimes they come up to me after and they're like, how did you know? Because the devil hasn't changed. He just can't help himself because he's mean. I had a call from Alberta Health Inspection something or other this week. So that was a nice, pleasant surprise for me. Somebody decided to call you in venue. So I don't know. Wear your dang masks, I guess. Can you imagine pastor talking to a health inspector? Like, about anything? <laughs> but the rules and the... They, see, but... I, um, I can understand if our neighbors are afraid. I can understand that, absolutely. I would be afraid. I was afraid before I wrestled with uh, death and wrestled with God and made my peace with God. I was afraid too, and I, I totally get that, but I hope that wasn't a Christ follower. <laughs> you imagine God walking into the room and being like, dude, you called the health inspector on the family restaurant <laughs> to save lives? Come on. To save lives? I thought that's what I did. Uh, who didn't you want to see give their life to Christ on Easter Sunday morning? Who was it that you don't want to spend eternity with? Yeah, let me preach, Venue Church. Come on now. Come on now. Saving lives is what the church does. You know, that's why Christians are the first in to hard areas and diseased areas and war-torn nations. We're the first in and last out. You can torture us. You can do anything you want to us. But we have a life beyond this life in the next life. And we want to share that with you. Of course, we care about life. We're talking about eternity and eternal life here. And today, somebody's destiny is going to be changed here forever. You're going to come that much closer to Christ. It's going to be incredible. Hey, we were out for, um, and luckily for this place here as well, we have the fire capacity of an elementary school. God bless that we, God bless this place that we are able to meet in right now because our present, we can handle people here because of the capacity, the fire capacity, because that's a thing. 
Hey, um, we were out for lunch with some pastor friends of ours this week, and, and they said there's a, an officer in Edmonton. Their understanding is that his full-time job is to go around and ask churches to open and be like, we didn't know how important you are. We didn't know what you do. We didn't know, but we know now. Please open your doors. Please open your doors. Listen, the devil is trying to close the church. Can we not do his job for him? The devil is trying to close this so there's no hope and people go crazy again. No, no, no. No, just give me warm. It's Easter Sunday. What are you going to do to me? I'm a walking dead man, guys. Come on. Somebody came here today afraid of death. And in this hour that we spend together, you're going to leave and you're not going to be the same person ever again. There's a major element in our lives in this series, thank you, Sean, that we don't really understand now, unless you grew up on the farm, anybody like a gardener? You like grubbing around in the dirt? My wife, Pastor Erin, she loves, she, nothing makes her happier than grubbing around in the backyard. To me, I've been on her for ever, because you see these, uh, those artificial yards that look like a golf putting green in the middle of winter? I would do that like tomorrow. I would love that. I'm like, look how, look how amazing it looks. And she would, it would kill her soul a little bit. I'm like, would it be worth it? Mm, she'd get over it. <laughs> no, no, she would not get over that. That's why we still have real grass. But she loves grubbing around in the garden. Some of the, some of the girls in the church, you guys were so generous with her on her birthday. And you got her one of those gift certificates to one of those places that I don't have to go to anymore. Because you guys go with her. And she buys plants and brings them home and grubs around. Comes in with her hair all messed up and leaves everywhere and dirt on her face. <laughs> Happy. There's something that she, she, she grew up on the farm. She loves things that grow. My parents grew up on the farm. Her parents grew up on the farm. There's something that farmers understand that we don't understand. And um, let's call it the death, the death cycle. Today's sermon is called uh, Death Dreams because that's a super encouraging sermon title. Now, I'm going to show you that when God is done with death, you're not afraid of it anymore. But there's something that a farmer understands. See, our grandparents grew up, or maybe your great-grandparents, depending on how young you think that you are. I'm apparently now very old to my children. There's something they understood about the time that a seed goes into the ground. See, the Bible says, unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it cannot produce fruit. But there's a time, a period of dormancy, a period of deadness, a period where you have to struggle with, will the seed grow or not? There's, there was a time for them... And my grandparents, you know, they were, they were settlers and they, they created a farm out of nothing. And there was a time in between when the seed went into the ground and died and a time that they would harvest it. And if something went wrong and they couldn't harvest it, that meant that some of the children didn't have enough food. That's what they wrestled with. They worked like slaves so that they could get everything right. But still in the meantime, there's this period between the seed of a dream that God planted in your life, there's a seed and a period and a dormancy and a death cycle that you and I have to learn what to do with. I think that 2020 was a death cycle. I think that there was a seed planted in the ground, but here's what we kept doing because we have not wrestled with, with death the way that we should yet. Here's what we kept doing. We kept digging the seed up to see if it was growing. Anybody do that? I'm the least patient, it's been said, the least patient person in town. And if I plant a seed, I want it growing the next day or that night, if it can get its crap together. And I would dig, this is what you and I do. Like you spend a whole lifetime going in one direction and then you do spend, have a good 10 minutes where you're like nice to everybody. And then you're wondering why you don't bear your entire life as a glorious thing. Well, you got to let it sit in the ground and it's got to die. Do you have a dream that, that hasn't come to fruition in your life yet? 
because maybe it was an immature version of a dream that God gave you, and maybe in, in the time in the middle, you haven't learned how yet to handle it, how to dig the ditches that you need to, so that when the real dream that God gives you, that he tweaks and changes along the way, so you realize this wasn't the dream, that was the dream, because this dream had to do with me, and that dream has to do with him. And we're like, God, just make me happy and healthy. And God is like, happy and healthy for what? For you or for everybody around you? That's the maturing process that happens in the middle there. F food to feed just you or to feed your family, your spiritual family. But in the death cycle, you have to start wondering about things like, can joy be joy the way that God describes it, the way that Jesus experienced it? Can joy be joy without pain and suffering? Because you and I, we just want to go straight to the happiness. You just give me a pill that makes me happy. You know, um, you try to line your circumstances up and get everything just right. You know, thinking that that's where happiness comes from. Statistically, your circumstances account for 10% of your happiness. Why? Because the Bible says that joy comes from the Lord. How can the happiest people in the world be Christ followers who are also suffering the most? How can this be? Well, the tapestry of your life is supposed to be like a mosaic that all the broken pieces God puts together, but then the mosaic belongs to him. How can something that hasn't died yet be resurrected? And we keep wanting to go straight to resurrection, but God's like, I can't because you're still holding on to it. Because it's still, you think it belongs to you because you won't let it die, because you won't let the dream die, because you won't let the dream of a perfect marriage die. You won't let the dream of your children growing up and everybody looking at you, mom, and being like, oh, they were amazing moms. But your kids are too, and the dream is dying. <laughs> Proverbs, the wise man said to us, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Yeah. Hope deferred, like when it's a, a cross, <laughs> and it's not a tree of life. There's so many sermons I could preach about Easter. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life, and then the tree, the cross. Yeah, but when you're on a cross, when you feel like you're digging ditches, when... Hope deferred, the distance between uh, the seed and the dream coming true, between when God gave you the dream and when it comes true, the distance between, it says, makes your heart sick. But there's something about that that's heavenly. There's something about that that you've got to stop running away from. There's something about that you have to learn to embrace. Come on, venue church. There's something about the death that you have to learn to embrace so that you can experience the resurrection. You know, you and I, are, we're great escape artists now, aren't we? I mean, all we want to do is, I mean, 2020 was the year that we tried to escape death. We tried to escape fear. We tried to escape the, the pressures and the peer pressures. And the, we just tried to escape. And, but David, King David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And we just went, yea, though I'm totally running away from the valley of the shadow of death. But maybe it was a gift wrapped up in a tragedy that some of you haven't opened yet. Because what if you would actually go through the valley of the shadow of death and death on the other side could have no hold on you? Then what could the devil do to you? You know, our grandparents knew there was this time in the middle. They had to wait patiently. They had to strengthen their hearts. Sometimes what our grandparents did is that they would climb the mountain, but then instead of your generation learning how to climb a mountain, they would just get to the top and then send a chopper back. And so we want to get to the summit, but it's all artificial now. You know, like you get to the summit, but if you didn't climb it, you didn't climb the mountain. You're not on the summit. You just got transported there. Get the chopper. Schwarzenegger, no. <laughs> they became accustomed to the pressure. They became accustomed to a life of hardship and pain and death and suffering 
But what dreams did they experience coming true? Um, the risk and adventure that our grandparents and their and, and, and our forefathers, the risk and adventure, the suffering and the joy, they faced death all the time. Even their, their, their fun times were filled with like risking death. When you think about how adverse we are to death and to suffering, and COVID was the, the year that everybody, for the first time in some generations, thought they might die. Like for reals, they had never actually wrestled with the thought, I might die and what's next? I might, I might actually not live this year out. Our grandparents faced death all the time. My, 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 my dad one time, actually not my dad, my uncle Carl, um, my aunt was telling me, they used to take, for fun, this is what they used to do, they used to take their bikes onto the top of a hip roof barn and ride off it and land on the haystack. One time Carl, just for fun, I grew up with farm kids, man, they will try stuff. Because if work couldn't kill them, come on. If work couldn't kill those farm kids, man, they were tough. They, man, they were strong in their minds. They were strong in their hearts. Uh, Carl was so strong, he rode off, but he missed a haystack and knocked himself out. This is something you've never had to do. Get your brothers and sisters, all little kids, load Carl, you know, leg by leg and arm by arm into the bike wagon and take Carl back to gran grandpa, you know, take Carl back to their dad, Abe. And they're on the way back. This is the conversation they're having. They're like... You tell dad that we killed him. I'm not telling dad. You tell dad that we, Carl's dead. What happened? We was working. Working at what? You tell him. Real conversation. You've never had that conversation. You never loaded your brother into, and you thought he was dead. Just even the, 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 the slaves in the farm, man. I, I just remember the stories that I would hear. I'm like, man, we are so soft now. In our generations, um, so the things I used to do for fun, my dad had his cousins one time, or I think it was his cousins, they came over, they were hanging out, and they were just, you know, up to no good, and so they snuck up behind, one of them snuck up behind a cow that was sleeping, wrapped the cow's tail around his arm, like seven or eight times real good, and then gave it a pull. Cow, <laughs> cow takes off, like, across the fields and down the hills, and my dad said that he and his other cousin were, they were laughing so hard they were on the ground, because he couldn't let us, he couldn't let go. And you ever been like running down a hill when your legs can't keep up to the rest of you? And you're like doing the big steps and like, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> he's just like over the hill he went and then he came up over the next hill. This is what they used to do for fun. But what happens is the temptation for a generation that has had it hard, the temptation is to shorten the path for the next generation so that they don't have the same hardships. Now, part of that is noble, but part of that is naive. Because if you reach the summit without a little dirt under your fingernails, if you reach the summit without bleeding for it, if you reach it, you'll think that it's about you. Every generation has to dig their own ditches. This is the gift that we have right now, to dig our own ditches, ditches and actually face death like they had to face. Um, what happens if you won't dig your own ditch is that you'll become weak and easily overrun by situations that wouldn't even have registered on our grandparents' stressometer. Wouldn't even have registered on it. And this is where we find ourselves right now. Well, how can you say this? How can you? I can say this because I have wrestled with death. 
I can say this because I have made peace with God. I can say this because when I was a child, I wrestled with the thought that I might die every night that I was sick and gasping for breath. I, I had to wrestle with the fear of that. And one day I woke up as a child and decided I would rather get sick and die than be afraid of getting sick and die forever. And Jesus saved me. And, and death could no longer see what fear does is it puts a gun to your head and, and makes you try to take a shortcut. It makes you afraid. And then and when you're afraid, you panic and you do all the wrong things. But the last time our grandparents, see, our grandparents knew something that we just haven't figured out yet statistically, is that death is still hovering around the 100% mark. Right. <laughs> well, statistically, COVID, yeah, statistically, you're going to die. I'm sorry. If this is a shock to you, I'm sorry. Statistically, you're going to face your maker. Then what? If you're not ready, get ready. Because sooner or later, it's going to happen. And I feel like this is the dream, this is the possibility and the dream that God has in all this time to turn this horrible situation around into something that's actually good. Something that actually, but there's this death process, this death cycle that we have to get through. See, the weaker a society, the more we dishonor the death dreams demand. The weaker a society, the more we dishonor the death that dreams demand. You see somebody in the middle of a struggle and you actually dishonor the struggle because you don't have the courage to go through your own struggle. And what happens is uh, dreams without death create a God complex. God with a little g. Dreams without death create a God complex because it says Satan is the God of this earth. See, God gave the earth to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve said, thank you. We don't need you anymore and gave it to the devil. That's why all the brokenness and the disease and the hurt. Because the devil is the, Satan is the God of this earth. That's what the scriptures say. And so uh, uh, dreams without death is what he tried to do. That's his kingdom. That's how he rolls. Like, just give me the dream, but I don't want the, I just want people to, but I don't want to sacrifice. I want, but I don't want. And it creates a God complex in you so that when you're standing on the mountain, you think that it was you. Christ did not come to stand on a mountaintop. He came to be crucified on a cross. He came to be betrayed. He came to suffer. The king of life came to experience death. That's why he came. Was he less, are you more joyful than he is because you haven't experienced the death that he experienced? It has nothing to do with it. Death can no longer hold him, but he came to die. Paul says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to, this is what Paul says. This is why he's, he says, I want to suffer with him. I don't want to suffer. No, Jesus came to suffer so that I wouldn't have to suffer. If you've only ever come to Christ and you're like, Jesus, make me happy. You have missed the point of Christianity. Jesus, make me happy or Jesus, save my soul. The one comes from the other. He says, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. What? So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. What a mature statement. What an incredible statement. So that I want to experience your resurrection, Lord Jesus, he says. But I want to share your suffering and your death so that I can experience resurrection. Because he knows that that's the path. He knows that, that he's going to have to go through the valley of the shadow of death and not just escape it. He knows that I'm going to have to go through here and face it and see if Jesus is mighty or not. Mary Magdalene is, is other than, obviously Jesus is the focal point of our study this morning. It's Easter. Your kids come home from Sunday school. What did you learn about Jesus? 
But Mary Magdalene kind of represents us in this story. Mary Magdalene had a troubled life. I don't know how troubled your life has been, but hers would probably win if it was a contest. It says that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. Can you imagine? I mean, you fight the devil outside. She was fighting seven within. Her life was just a living nightmare. Horrible. Something you maybe can't even imagine. Her story is not super uncommon even today, but if you've never experienced it, you don't know what it's like to have that thing inside of you at work. She understands fear and madness and terror. She understands losing her grip on uh, sanity. She understands every second being on edge because who knows what's going to happen next. She understands because she has lived with... Yeah, some of you met Jesus first. You, you grew up in Sunday school, you met Jesus first? That's awesome. Some of us didn't. And Mary didn't. Beyond all hope, Jesus has, in his ministry on this earth, has freed her. But now Jesus is in the grave. Her savior, her savior and her protector is, is dead. And it's the third morning, and, and will, she is facing the very real reality. It's one thing, if that's all that you know, it's another thing to be set free and then face the reality that you're going back there because the, the person who saved you, the power that saved you is gone. And, and will she, she hasn't slept in three days because if she sleeps, what happens then? Will they come for her again? She is in, in travail of soul. She is in the valley of the shadow of death. See, there's something else that wrote in. Can I give you a little spiritual leadership right now? Two people. Can I give you a little spiritual? Let me tell you something. Look, COVID or the flu or any sickness cannot do what it did to us without something else riding in on, on the wave of that. There is a spirit from the God of this world, from Satan, of fear and infirmity, a spirit of it that wrote in. That's why you think about it all the time. That's why you are scared to death. There is a spirit that wrote in to make you afraid. Anything to get your eyes and your conversation off of the savior of the world, whom disease hung on, on the cross, who bore all our infirmities and our diseases, all of them. And they bore it so that they would have no power over your soul. And something else wrote in and make you, made you afraid. She understands this fear better than you understand it. She grew up with it. And Spurgeon says this on Mary Magdalene. Those who were possessed by these evil spirits were defiled thereby, as well as made unhappy, for a heart cannot become a kennel for the hounds of hell without being rendered filthy and polluted. She would be incessantly assaulted by unearthly profanities and hideous suggestions, not as with us, proceeding from the devil without, who was a dreaded antagonist, but from seven devils within, who had entrenched themselves upon a dreadful vantage ground. In addition to the unhappiness, the defilement occasioned by satanic possession, these persons were frequently dangerous to themselves and to others. This Mary. Some of you think, well, God could never solve the pain in my life. God could never, he doesn't know the sins I've committed. No, I don't think that you know what he is capable of. Because Mary would look at you and be like, you have problems? You've committed sin that you can't be forgiven of? You think you do? Some people are like, well, what do I have to do to come to church? I'm like, if you would meet some of the people here, you would feel just fine. You would come as you are. You would have no problem. Be like, God can fix that person. I'm looking at God can fix that person. Oh, I belong here. Early on Sunday morning. <laughs> this is so Chad Ferguson. If God can save Chad, God can save anybody, Airdrie. Yeah, amen. <laughs> He's messed up, man. I've heard some of his story. Early on Sunday morning, Chad came to the tomb. No. Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb. 
early, while it was still dark. She found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She doesn't go inside. She doesn't look inside because this is like uh, if you've ever been to a third world country where there's no street lights or anything. It's dark. Like when it's dark, it's dark. You know, like how did you get there? I fell a lot. Like there's no iPhone. There's no flashlight. There's no nothing. Like she, she, well, she's not sleeping. She might as well go do something. She comes there. It's dark. And, and she doesn't look inside because who knows what she'll find inside the grave. Graves into gardens. The trouble is you actually have to go into the grave. It's, who knows what she'll find in there. She's a, she knows the dark. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb, tomb first. Let me give you a little history here. The other disciple is John who wrote this. Now, I don't know if John was just very humble. I don't want to say it was me. But there was Peter. There was Chad. And then there was the one who Jesus loved. Can you imagine Mary Magdalene on literally the worst morning of her life? Reading this account that John writes after. And looking at him and saying... You had to write about the race with Peter? <laughs> like, I am dying on the inside here, and you had to tell everybody that you beat Peter in a race. <laughs> Stupid boys. What is wrong with you? I'm, I'm dying. Listen, but you can laugh at the death you experienced once you get free of it. You can look back and say, devil, if you couldn't kill me then, you're not going to kill me now. And I'm not going to leave this life until it's my time to go. And only Jesus decides that. Until my work here is done. See, some of you are afraid of dying because you haven't done the work yet. But until your work is done, you are invincible on this earth. But you got to start the work. That's where the anointing, that's where the protection. Come on now. Devil can't take me out before it's my time. He stooped and he looked in, it's the one whom Jesus loved, and saw the linen wrappings lying there. Jesus might love you, but you might have bowed low enough to look in, but you haven't bowed low enough to crawl in. You don't come to Christ with a crown on your head, telling him how much he needs you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't, he'll never need somebody like me. But he loves me. But I got to get to this place in my soul where I'm willing to crawl in that tomb and see what's in there. Peter comes in and he got no shame and he's late and he dives in the tomb because he knows that John hadn't crossed the finish line yet. <laughs> and he has old man strength. He scrapes his knees up. He went inside. He noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And this is great hope to you as well because you might be the last in your family to give your life to Christ. You might be the last one in. You're the holdout. You've been patting yourself on the back, but you know that your soul's in trouble. If you meet your maker tonight, you might be the last one in, but there's still a place for you. There's still room in the tomb. He saw and believed for until then. They still haven't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. If there's no death, you can't rise. And it says, then they went home. Now, now we find ourselves here, and somebody's going to stay here a little bit longer today and go to the prayer and care corner. Yeah. Because they went home because maybe home was safe for them, but Mary had no home to go to. Yeah. 
Where's Mary going to go? If she goes home, the, the devils might be waiting for her there. Can I get real? Why? If she goes home, maybe you're going home and you're walking into something that you don't want to walk into and you know what's waiting for you. So they, they, she stays behind because she has no place else to go. It says Mary was standing outside the tomb crying and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. But this time she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. There's no fire escapes in a tomb. Where'd they come from? She finally has the guts to look in and see what's in there. And she finds not the enemy, she finds friends. She finds not the devil, she finds angels. And how would she even see them? Because there ain't no lights. How do they get there? There's something that God will, you will find solace in the grave. You'll find solace in the tomb. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord. She replied, I don't know where they put him. I, I just wanted a few more moments. At least I could remember there was a time I was free. I was okay. I was sane. I was in my right mind. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. This is where her human pride, because she had lived in and around Jesus for some time. Of course, she would recognize him. Of course, if you grew up in church, you would recognize Jesus. I don't know. I think church people can be about as blind as anybody. I think that you, you can put Jesus into a box and tell him to sit and stay. And then a different Jesus shows up. A man of sorrows, the prophet says, and acquainted with grief. And we hid our faces from him. Maybe that Jesus shows up when it's time to bear your cross. You know that thing that's perfectly designed to break you apart? To shatter your tile so that he can make a mosaic? That thing in your life that you've been avoiding? And maybe it's time for you to come back and face Jesus and be like, okay, you didn't sit and stay where I put you. Because that's not you. The son of the living God doesn't sit and he doesn't stay. Dear woman, why are you crying? He asks her. Who are you looking for? You know, this is when Jesus says something to you that he already knows the answer to. This is always a shock in prayer. He already knows the answer. He just wants you to say it. He's not going to come in. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not come in and take you over. You have to not just give permission. You got to get up on that cross. You got to walk in. You got to crawl into that tomb. You got to get your knees a little bit bloody. You got to get in there. She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she replied, I just want my Lord's body. She thought he was the gardener. She thought he was right in front of her and he, she was still looking. He was right there. Commonplace. Was he dressed like the gardener? She wasn't wrong. He was the gardener. In a Shakespearean twist that you didn't see coming, that she didn't see coming, the gardener of Eden, who created a paradise for mankind, who came down every evening in the cool of the day to walk with Adam and Eve, to make sure there's no weeds in the garden, to tend the garden. He comes down one day in the garden of Eden. He comes down and walks alone because he was there to walk and we had sinned and we hid. Could he have redeemed us? Maybe he could have, but we hid our faces. We were ashamed of what we had done. We hid in the dark. He was the gardener of Gethsemane. Days before, he is weeping like great drops of blood. He's sweating. And he asked us to pray. And he wept while we slept. Alone he came down that day. And alone he was in Gethsemane. What he said was the opposite of what Adam said. 
When Adam said, I'm taking this, whether you want me to or not, Jesus said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. The opposite, and he reversed the curse. He was always the gardener. He is the gardener at, at his own tomb. That same breath that breathed life into man who betrayed him, that same breath that cried out on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Even if you turn to the people I'm saving, but never had the father been separated from the son and his gaze turns away from Christ to look at you. But now he doesn't see you. He sees a risen savior in your place. He sees a risen savior paying for your sins. That same breath that cried out, why have you forsaken me? Cried out, Father, forgive them. That same breath breathes in the garden and says, personally, poignantly, powerfully, Mary. That same breath has just whispered your name because he loves you so. That same breath wants to take you through the grave and take you through the valley of the shadow of death so it will no longer have a grip on your soul. That same breath would resurrect your life, but you have to let it go.